because I watch the big coaches out there. I watch the big sessions. I watch who fails, who doesn't. I also tested my own retention when I was bringing in new recruits. And I listened to all the clients calling in, making complaints. So I took all of that together and just saying, everybody deserves their own individual approach to success. And that's where the elite, the successful, that's where they live. I'm so pleased to have the one and only Kim Skirmer joining me today, all the way from Ontario, Canada. Kim is the founder of the Approach Coaching Method, where she coaches the industry on business development and coaching and advisory services with a flair of leadership and life. This was a conversation that was so enjoyable that it went almost 51 minutes, and I've had Kim speak to our inner circle group as well, and she's phenomenal. She has a passion for her career, and in this conversation, she opens up about her journey going from being a chef and a tour guide to being an entrepreneur and a leader within financial services. We dig into what Kim's vision is on emotions and vulnerability within the industry. Kim and I also talk about understanding our clients in the simplest way. We talk about coaching our clients specific to them and who they are, not how we want them to be. Such an important topic. And then we also understand the value in accepting coaching within our careers. It's been revolutionary to me. Kim and I talk about how it's impacted many other people, and we talk about so much more. This was one of those great conversations. So please join me in welcoming Kim Skirmer to Bridging the Gap. This is Bridging the Gap. With your host, Matt Reiner. Kim Skirmer, Ontario, Canada. Canuck, how are you? How's everything up in Ontario today? I know we're talking in the, you know, it's early spring, so y'all getting snow. What's what's going on up in Ontario? Uh, it's beautiful today. So yesterday was 42. Today is 82. <laughs> so it is the, the Canadian weather. It's if you don't like the weather out the front door, you go look out the back door. So today I like the back door. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how you prepare for that. I mean, it, does everybody no. get like the colds and colds and flu? I mean, like their their body is like can't even regulate. They don't even know what's going on with that type of oh, discrepancy between two, weather. Oh, exactly. I have two boxes of tissue here because it's the actual like hay fever, spring fever, whatever fever is going on. So you have this like this constant runny nose, and uh, people still here are very COVID sensitive. And I like have a T-shirt of I don't have COVID. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just have boogers. I, I just have boogers. used to blow our nose before COVID. It's crazy. <laughs> I know it's unbelievable it's so to break down, yeah, but yeah, it's breaking news. It's, yeah. it's breaking news. Well, and it's always I was just thinking about it as we're talking about the weather, like how every podcast we open with like weather or how it's doing, like. It, it, that's just that's typical i guess in podcasting school they teach you just always open up the podcast with the weather but it's always interesting to know how the weather is in other places so i think it's good but that's not what we're talking about here today we're talking about just everything you've accomplished you know we've talked before and, and we're having you talk to our inner circle through a presentation i'm a huge fan of of coaching i'm a huge fan of self-awareness mindfulness Having another person as a as a sounding board, I think professionals should all have them. I'm I'm a big fan of therapists. Like I'm a big fan of all of this. So this mm-hmm. is like right up my alley. I'm really stoked about this. And you you founded the approach coaching method, which we're going to dive into, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about everything from coaching, how to get clients to buy into coaching, what is the the approach method. We're going to talk about different coaching styles. I, you sent me something over before we talked today on LinkedIn that I really want to dive into. I thought it was super interesting about the different types of ways to coach. So I'm really excited about this. I think it's a really good one for advisors to just learn and, and have an open mind to, to how do we grow? Because although we are, you know, we are all very intelligent, 
we don't know everything. There's a lot more that we can learn and a lot more we can grow. And, and I, I can't wait to hear your story. Before we dive into kind of the meat of this, I always like to lead off the podcast by asking because, you know, you built this business, then and we're not going to talk about ages right now. But the 13 year old Kim Skirmer, what did the 13 year old Kim Skirmer want to do? Was it to start a business called the approach coaching method? Or uh, was it something different? No, the 13-year-old the, the Kim Skirmer was taking care of her family. Parents were divorced. So my mom, so I'm a dual. So my mom's American, dad Canadian, all American dream story. Dad came down to Canada, played basketball. He was semi-pro. Mom was head cheerleader, got married, had a bunch of babies, moved up to Canada. So that's kind of the, the story. But at 13, it was that whole part of we were just surviving, actually. So mm. it is really interesting how that really is a big part of my story of who I am today. So at that time, taking care of the family, living on a farm, trying to figure out how the world would work. You know, my mom's scraping pennies, nickels and dimes, all this kind of stuff, bad planning, bad everything, just trying to survive and fit in. And that 13 year old Kim was just, I was a tomboy, massive, massive tomboy, love the dirt bikes, the quads, the motorbikes, all that kind of stuff, playing around in the mud, just having fun, having a great time. But that really, really was and is a big part of why I do today, because I have always had this caring soul and heart. And my sister used to bug me and she either called me Cinderella or she called me Mother Teresa. <laughs> right? So that has always been part of me and that is so entrenched in me. So yeah, that was a 13 year old Kim. Not a great fun story. You, so were you the, uh, just out of curiosity, were you the oldest or the youngest or I, middle? I was, I was number three. So there's four kids and uh, I was number three, four kids. So that's super interesting, right, to think about how the evolution of that life situation entrenched who you are, right? I always tell people, and I, I, you kind of learned it from Morgan Housel when he talked about it in his book, is from 13 to 21 really is kind of what entrenches you and determines the, the type of person you are because you're, you're old enough to realize things, but you're young enough to be naive. And then those life events that happen both in your life and the world events that happen during that period really shape how you deal with money, how you deal with situations. And so this was one of those situations where it led you to say, I care about helping others. And so tell us now about the next part of the journey, right? So you get into your professional life. Where did you start to starting this business? Kind of walk us through that journey that has led you to where you are today. I'm not sure how many of us say, I want to be in financial services. <laughs> it's, 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 the, the, there's more of us that don't say that. We usually just fall into it some way, somehow or another. Or they are like your story, right? It's a family business and you come in. So mine was, my, my background and my original career, I was a chef and a tour guide. That was my world. So I ate good food. I traveled around the world and ate good food. You know, that totally was my life. And it was New Year's Eve. I'm sitting there very bored, very sad. All my friends are out having a good time, drinking and partying. I'm trying to book 82 people to a golf tour in uh, Bali. And so back in those days, 20 some years ago, it's not the easiest thing to do. <laughs> and uh, I was just fed up and I grabbed a pink message pad. Those, you know, you have a message back in the day and I wrote, I quit. And I taped it on my boss's computer and I locked the door and I threw my keys to the mail slot. <laughs> and, uh, what age, so what age was that at? I was 20 something. I was okay. early 20s, very early right. 20s. And so I called my girlfriend the next day and she told me I was an idiot. What are you going to do now when you grow up? And I said, I have no clue. And she said, well, come answer the phones. We need a receptionist at Berkshire. So it was uh, a wealth firm. And she said, can you come answer phones for a while? We'll pay you 20 bucks an hour. And 20 years ago, 20 bucks an hour to answer the phone and be a receptionist was some pretty good money, right? I'm like, yes. 
So I went over there, did that. And within a couple of weeks, I was running the back trade office. A couple of weeks after that, I went into one of the largest firms, um, which is John Hancock in the US, so Manulife Financial. And that was kind of my entry point 20, 23 years ago. So you started there, you started receptionist, you went to uh, what we know as John Hancock here. What did you fall in love with within the industry? What was your kind of, what was the true passion that you had as you were in that, in that, in that business? Two things, two things that led to it. The first was the advisor that I first started to work with. And to this day, he still has all my money, which is awesome. So when working with Terry, I got to start sitting in on the office and in the meetings and all that kind of stuff. And we know a very good, successful advisor has an extremely strong EA, an executive assistant. So I'm in there, you know, doing, doing my job. And I watched how he dealt with families. And I watched the emotions. So caring side, 13-year-old Kim gets to now see these caring emotions like right live, right in front of me. And listening to the questions he would ask and how he would deal with them and his process that he had. And it, and it really, he would always say, if you have a problem, apply a process. If you have a problem, apply a process. And this was from a kid that had a really disheveled, strange, scary upbringing, right? We were poor, trying to figure life out. There was no stability there. So I got to really understand and have my real first male figure in my life mm. show me this power and strength. And, and that was incredible. And the other part and the other side in the moment was, you know, after dad left, I didn't know how bad things were. And we would always have this massive gathering at our homestead. And during this massive gathering, we'd always make this meal called more. And we never knew, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know you're poor. You honestly usually don't know you're poor. And I didn't really know we were poor. So mom was running to the store. And when on, on, and as soon as you know that uh, she's on the way to the store, you're going to ask to go along because if she goes to the store, you get a treat. So I'm about 10, 11 years old at this time. We go to the corner store to go get a couple of things. And I overhear my mom having a conversation with the store owner as I'm looking at the candy. And my mom asked for store credit. And I sat there and without, ooh, I might cry, (laughs) without a, a flinch, a blink or anything, Carol, the owner of the store said, of course, Linda, of course. And I'll never forget the number. It was $8.48. And so a local community business owner helped a family for $8.48 so she could feed her kids a recipe called more that would feed us for three or four days. And it's the most incredible tasty meal. And we cook it all the time when we're missing life or we're missing our mom because she's now passed away. But it's such a big story of the advisors I work with. You all need to understand that you help communities, business owners, families have more. Mm, that is the, the detail and the description of the story makes me feel like I can envision, you know, our local supermarket as a kid, you know, I can put myself in a situation like that because of how vivid it is. And, you know, it's interesting that you're talking about how advisors should help provide more, help them like do that. And I, and you talked about when I was listening to the podcast you were on with Matt Holleran, the top advisor marketing podcast, which if you haven't listened to it, we'll put it in our show notes. It's an incredible uh, conversation. Matt is one of the best hosts out there. And, 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 you know, I'm grateful to call him a friend. But you mentioned this concept, which is slightly different 
to our personal life, but to your professional life about the first life and your second life. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it resonated with me because it's like my own quandary that I'm, I can, I'm actually going through this kind of transition right now in my in my life because you mentioned the first life building our identity and you kind of mentioned it like till 40 or roughly until that standpoint and how how you thought it you 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 how you're supposed to be right based on what people perceive or you perceive people thinking that you should be and then transition into the second life where you mentioned and, and it resonated with Matt as well the subconscious was killing off your old ego is what you mentioned and I thought that was super incredible and where it was like their validate validation, others people, other people's validation doesn't matter anymore. And it's 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 a super interesting concept that I want you to dive into. And you know, for me, it's something interesting because it's right now as I'm transitioning to different roles in organizations of growing leadership. Right? It's a matter of like, what is work supposed to be? Like, am I supposed to have my hands on the keyboard? But that's not necessarily where the best thing is. Maybe the best thing is for me to stare out the window and think about big things and ideas. Or read a book in my office, but people would walk by and be like, Matt is reading a book? Like, what is he doing? (laughs) Right? And my old self was like, I cared. So I just had my hands on the keyboard doing and felt like I was doing a lot, but now I was doing nothing. And walk us through what that was like for you and how you got to that perception. Because what you talked about with Matt was just inspiring. It was Mm. awesome. I have this saying, and it's trauma forms transformation. To what face it holds, it's up to us. And that's a really big guiding principle throughout my whole entire life again. And not going into big, big details, you can listen to Matt's podcast, uh, Halloran's podcast, uh, to kind of get the whole story. But the long story short of it is I was having these incredible, horrible dreams. I was having imagery coming to me in dreams. And what happens is, is our subconscious only speaks to us in image. That's when it speaks to us. So we have to be very aware what imageries are coming to mind, let us being sleeping or not or daydreaming. So I was getting this really, really strong message while I was struggling very hard for my transition from senior executive corporate to out on my own and doing this thing when I have tons of people supporting me, all of this type of stuff. You know, people asking me, come have the senior vice president job. We want you here. We want you there. And I was having this huge struggle between, okay, am I going to go be poor with my hubby to live the richest part of my life? Or do I say yes and go back to everywhere else, like everyone else, where I felt like I was kind of an imposter because Mm. I knew that the change that needed to happen in the industry couldn't happen from a boardroom table. So you're sitting here looking at this whole entire dichotomy and this struggle that's happening with so many people in our industry, because there's a big, massive cultural shift about to happen, and it's going to be big. And the ones that understand this are going to be extremely successful. It's not about product. It's not about production. It's not about pushing. It's not about all those things. That's why I keynoted and and trademarked the phrasing beyond the product. Really successful financial advisors need to go beyond the product they sell. That's what they need to do. And that was this huge struggle that I was having was now coming to the plate saying, hey, no, let's do some business planning. And everyone's like, oh, my God, please don't tell me that I'm going to do another ideal client and, you know, 2.5 of investable assets and la, la, la. I'm like, that's not your ideal client. People buy from emotion. 95% of sales are from emotion. 
You either make them feel something like trust or comfort, or you're selling something that triggers an emotion. So this whole struggle that I was happening of this identity shift of my mom dying and passing away, being the horrible auntie that would send gifts in March, you know, for Christmas time, you know, working 16 hours a day, having to have the fancy, beautiful, expensive sports car, living in the nicest neighborhood, right, in Toronto. Well, you know, this, this life that I thought I needed to have, dressing a certain way, acting a certain way, having all the jokes, fitting in with the boys, wearing that like a badge of honor that I could be just like one of the boys. You know, laughing, hey, Kim, you're just like one of the boys. And I'm like, ha, 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 guess what's going to happen if I sneeze too hard one day? Ha, 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 right? Like, you know, all this stuff. Funny when you're having a couple of drinks, but you actually really look at it and you're going, okay, you're, you're being an imposter. Go be your true authentic self. And your body's telling it, your mind's telling it, if we are quiet and silent and actually look at the messages that we all are going to get in our second part of our life that'll show us how we truly need to show up you you write this and i'm writing down my question as a, as you're talking is cuz i i'm there right and when when i hear that i hear be more vulnerable be more authentic don't be the typical stereotype of this industry you don't have to be that Mm-hmm. That that that's some big. Those are just simple words, but those are big actions, oh, right? And so, from your perspective, what is the mm-hmm. challenge going to be? Because you say that that's the future, right? People buy on emotion. It's beyond the product, right? And the product could be services that you're offering. It doesn't have to be an actual like widget or or a financial product. It could just be the services that you're providing. That is a that what you're selling, mm-hmm. and it's beyond that. But what's going to be the challenge to move this industry there? What's going to be that kind of like the tipping point to do that? Because right now there there doesn't seem to have to be that. I'm I'm, I'm figuring out what is that challenge to get people to that point to be more vulnerable and more accepting of vulnerability in this industry. Mm. Well, do you have three hours? Yeah, we got <laughs> we got all day. We got all day. I guess the first part I would start because it kind of was my end conclusion. This is all in the hands of the advisor. 100%, I feel, when it truly comes down to everything, it's in the hands of the financial advisor. You are either going to survive or not. The distributor can find another client. The carrier can find another way to distribute. There's solutions all over the place. There's direct and consumer things. There's all of this kind of stuff happening. When we look at a regular licensed fiduciary advisor versus the TikTok or the Instagram influencers that are a financial coach who are making millions, millions, and there's no education behind them. They are going and making people feel an emotion. If that doesn't smack you upside the head, <laughs> you know, right? We need to look at our competition so strongly. Why are they absolutely breaking the glass ceiling? Why are they going on Kajabi or Thinkific or whatever and putting this course on and making millions on saying, this is how I invested. They entertain, they educate, they tell stories, they engage back with people. They're creating communities beyond the product, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. So the product they're buying is their 1995 blipping course. And we've got 22-year-olds that are multimillionaires. You know, so when you look at that and really understand it, that's important. You know, the other part when you're kind of looking at what's in the hands of the advisor, at the end of the day, the advisor has the control, period. So 
it is that part of stop being a really good employee. We're really good at making advisors good employees. What course are you going to go to first or sign on to first? Is it the objection handling course, how to handle objections? Or are you going to come to the course with Kim Skirmer of business development planning? Which one's going to sign up first, right? Objection handling all day long, all day Mm -hmm. long, right? Well, you actually wouldn't need that course (laughs) if you figured out how to market, how to be your true authentic self, how to attract your ideal client. Who is your ideal client? The pillars and intentions that are non-negotiables for the year that are limited and obtainable and measurable. How do you communicate? How do you go practice? How do you go screw up? How do you have a community? Like all of this stuff. Because if you learn and entrench yourself in this stuff, you are never going to have objections. Mm -hmm. Those Mm -hmm. meetings that you're going to go to, there's never going to be awkward silence. There's never going to be those weird things Because you just get to show up and listen and ask really good questions. So you you mentioned a lot of great stuff there. (laughs) I think that the idea of selling or making people feel an emotion, that's why the TikTok, you know, revolution is is there. It's making it feel emotion. You know, I think that that's something really that we have to understand is how do people think, what's their psychology, behavioral psychology, behavioral economics, all that type of stuff is so key to the evolution of the of the toolbox that we need to have. Mm-hmm. But you then also said, you know, you got to be your true authentic self. If you had if you were your true authentic self, you wouldn't have to deal with that objections and how to handle objections. So, I'm curious. I, I want I want the silver bullet, which I know you mentioned that a lot of people come to you for coaching needs on the Madeline podcast is they're coming to you for trying to find that silver bullet of like, hey, I come to you, you're going to solve all my problems. I'm going to be great, but we're going to get to that. They have to buy into that. We're going to, we're going to definitely talk to that. I'm teasing. So you just stay listen, stay tuned <laughs> for that answer. Uh, back to my radio days, but true authentic self, what is the silver bullet to building or the, or the two or three keys that are the biggest elements to shedding your inauthentic self and being your authentic self? Like what, what would those be if you had to, if you had to pick them out of a, crystal ball. Number one, mindset is huge. It's massive. And all the stuff that goes along with mindset, you have to understand the screw ups. You have to be okay with it. And you have to go and accept every bit and piece that makes up you. You have to do that. Without doing that, nothing else will fall into place. You are going to absolutely, you know, just absolutely catapult your learning curve if you come from a good place and a good mindset at the beginning. So it's that whole, are they coachable? (laughs) You know, that, you know, that terminology that I hate, but that's (laughs) it. It's mindset. It's mindset. I will take a hungry, curious pain in my ass any day. than a lazy guy that, or a girl that wants the silver bullet right away, or you're just going to fix this. You're my coach. I'm paying you all this money for this. You fix it. You're supposed to No, no. My job is to ask really good questions. That's what my job is. And to help understand the best approach that works for you. That's what a good coach does. And that takes time in the beginning. So it's the mindset. It's the being okay with investing time. And my other hashtag that I use all the time is big work. You have to go do the big work. You have to go learn. You have to go study. You know, it's like the the, the art of war. You have to go study your enemy. You have to figure it all out, Right. We are the TikToker, or Finfluencers or whatever they're called. 
we, we are serving up all of their content on a silver platter because we go on public message boards and someone will type of, what would you change in the financial services industry? And everyone's like, oh, this sucks, or this company sucks, or oh my God, did this person's under the regulator? Did you see this? Did you see Do you think the citizens are going to know the difference between a multi-level marketing firm and a, a huge, you know, massive RA or whatever it may be? Like, they're not going to understand the difference. Mm-hmm. So, you know, here we are being our own worst enemy too in this part. So we need to get off of those platforms and stop approaching things from a negative way. And I once had an advisor ask me saying, well, why don't we see like the good guys on those platforms or that, you know, like making it better or correcting things or, you know, Kim, you're not afraid of anything. Why aren't you staying on there? Or why aren't you saying anything? And I said, because the people aren't aware yet. You have to have awareness to be able to listen. Mm. Right. And I'm also aware. So I'm not going to go waste my valuable time, energy, mindset, mental health to fight against somebody who's not there yet or will never see the picture. That mindset, right? That's such an interesting point because for some of the clients that I coach, right, it's, we have such great conversations. We go deep, but I always remind them that I can get you to that point, but you have to do the work. Just having these conversations isn't going to change you. You've got to put in the work. And when they keep coming back at times and say, you know, I, you know, I just didn't, I wasn't able to get to this or I wasn't able to do that. Well, that, that's fine. But that's going to hold you back because you've got to put the time, you got to put the effort, you got to put the dedication, Mm -hmm. which then wants me to shift to some of your coaching philosophy and how you go about coaching clients. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have this quote on your website, and I I think I may butcher it, but making you a mirror image of me would mean I have failed you. Yeah. Yeah. I freaking love that. (laughs) I love that. Because when I first got into coaching, what I was always trying to do, I always thought about it as, that I need to make them like me, but that yeah. doesn't work. That's not, that's not, that's a failure to them because you've got to listen to who they are and help to help coach them for who they are, right? Mm-hmm. Based on who they are. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm curious, how have you been able to do this so well to be able to understand each individual person, their tendencies, the type of people they are, where they're coming from and coach them specific to them as opposed to coach them specific to who you are and get them to you? I listen a lot. Everyone thinks I am the A-type driver, like big personality. That's not my predominant personality. I'm huge analytic, massive analytic. I just elevate my relationship and my my A-type style to be able to communicate better. Like that's mm. really so I love data. I'm a data geek. So I observe and I watch a lot and I play the movie through and that's big. And I'm not shocked or surprised that your first entry of approach of coaching was, okay, I'm going to make you a mini me because that's the generation you grew up in, right? You're second generation within a financial planning firm. Like your dad Mm -hmm. started the business. You've got a really big firm and that's the way things were done before. And I tip my hat to the way things were done before because there's incredible wisdom in there. The problem and the fault is, is that we haven't adapted that incredible wisdom that's there to the modern times on how we communicate, Mm. how we actually go knock on those doors, right? That part, it's completely changed. So there is incredible wisdom. There's incredible, I have a saying of know your scripts, master the situation. 
So the old boys, you know, scripts and sayings and, you know, all of, or the objection handling things, they're kind of cool to know and understand, but it's that part of kind of emulate, then own, absolutely own it. So that's the difference that kind of happens now in my, my adapting of coaching and that saying of, if I was to make you a mirror image of me, would I have helped you or failed you came from my team Canada coach. That was from my coach. So when I moved to Eastern Canada to come join the, the, the crew out here and I found the coach and he, and he, like, this guy's a God on the water, like ab strong. And just, you watch him paddle and it was like dance. Like, it's just, it's beautiful. And I always call waters my church. Like it's just my church. And so when I went and saw Blake and finally met up with him and we're having the interview and, you know, am I going to be on the crew or not? And, you know, and I'm, I'm five foot 10. And at that time, 195, like big, strong, you know, Eastern European girl. And a lot of the crew over here were smaller Asian people, you know, so I'm as big as half the guys kind of thing. And, and it was all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, Blake, I want to look like you. I want to paddle like you. I want to move the water like you teach me to be you. I want to be you. And that's when he paused and said it. Mm-hmm. And I've carried that with me for since the day he said that to me, it's on my website. I have it in so many places. And that is such a reminder because people go and fail in this injuries. Cause I watch the big coaches out there. I watch the big sessions. I watch who fails, who doesn't. I also tested my own retention when I was bringing in new recruits. I'm sitting at an 80% retention level that are still in the industry when they actually, the stat is only at 3% survived past two years. I'm around 80 when I was in corporate doing something right. Mm-hmm. And it was all because I understood that every single one of us are a human being. And I listened to all the clients calling in, making complaints. So I took all of that together and just saying, everybody deserves their own individual approach to success. And that's where the elite, the successful, that's where they live. Yeah. And, and this is going to start diving into some of your approach, right? The, mm-hmm. the approach coaching method that you have is we were talking about it a little bit there before, right? Mm-hmm. Figuring out your authenticity. You, you were mentioning, you know, you need a mindset, investing the time, the big work, like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes people come to coaching, and I think of it as like kind of like a dance, right? Because both the coach and the player need to be playing to the same song and be committed to yeah. dancing to that song. If they're not, then it's not going to work. The, the dance kind of leads to, to nothing. Uh, yeah. There's no beauty in that, right? Where you have one person dominating it. Yeah. And I think that there's a stigma in our industry that I don't need to be coached. I don't need it. Yeah. I know it and I've, I'm successful. I'm curious how you have helped people. There's, I think there's a few different types of people, but I'm just going to identify two of them, right? You have the person mm-hmm. that comes to you and says, I want the silver bullet. Give me the silver bullet, which I, you mentioned you don't really work with anymore anyways, or you wouldn't work with. But there's also the person that comes to you and is not fully committed to it. They're not committed. They're not bought into the the success of it. Maybe their firm is asking them to do it because they made it to leadership or whatever it may be. But I'm curious to your side of how do you help to get people to see the value and get bought in even further, whether they came to you with minimal buy-in or they came to you maybe with medium buy-in. What have you seen been successful in helping these individuals that you know need the coaching, but maybe they don't necessarily know it, that they need it yet? Learning from my corporate life, because I used to run a division that offered coaching for free. So we had this wonderful, amazing idea of this part of the contract for a special division. It's like career captive with the independence, like all this sexy, wonderful stuff. And we're putting a bow on and it's amazing. And we're going to give you coaching. All you got to do is pay a couple of 10 points off your override. That's it. And it never worked. 
It never worked. Part of many of us built this beautiful, incredible program and it failed. And it's what needed to happen in the industry, right? So it was that learning from there. So it was also of, honestly, if someone comes to me and I have like any kind of doubt, we don't move forward. Mm. We, we just don't move. I don't say yes. So my process to make sure that that happens is, I don't do push funnels. I don't do any big marketing. Like you and I've been connected for a while. There's none of my book your free appointment here or do this kind of that or sign up to my email. But that's not my style. That's not my values. Those people that glom onto those types of offers are never going to move the dial forward. Mm. Right? Mm. So it's this philosophy that I have of you need to go have your journey. And when you're ready and you're standing at the gate of your path, I'm the coach there standing there waiting for you. So you got to go screw up. You got to go get some nose. You got to get some door slammed in your face. You have to go get humbled Mm -hmm. 100% to be ready. This is that part of that whole mix of us life and being our true authentic self. And then I have a discovery call with them free one hour. So again, tip, by the way, if you're looking for a coach and it's a 15, 20 minute, 30 minute discovery call, run as fast as you can. They're not a coach. Okay. Sorry. That's my little rant, but I have an hour discovery call and then I record it. I listen to it again. And then we have another recap call. Do I have this correct? This is from what you've told me. This is what I've heard, Matt. And I put it through. Does that sound fair? Does that feel correct? You know, all those really good. What questions do you have? Not, do you have any questions? I want your brain to move. Mm -hmm. And if your brain doesn't move, then you're not ready yet. And in, then from that process, then I send out a proposal and I do beautiful, gorgeous proposals. And even Halloran yells at me. He's like, are you stupid? You should be charging like $7,000 for this. No marketing. I'm like, it's part of that process and that buy-in. Mm-hmm. Like it, really, it gets part of my love and it's part of my serving the industry to help elevate the advisor to really live his brand and feel really special and unique. So we usually agree on it. I always start into like a nine week deep dive. That's that's and that's our litmus test. So it's like a nine week deep dive. We work together. The real work usually doesn't start until about three, three week four when we're all kind of comfortable and the dirty jokes are coming out. We're laughing about life and all that kind of stuff. Right. Like the real human connection starts happening. And then it's just like it just it just flies. It's so cool. And that's my process. And then after that nine week deep dives done, we decide if we do a monthly or bi bi weekly commitment. Because some people, again, everybody needs different types of coaching at different types of times. And there's coaches out there saying, you need to be in my program for 10 years. And I'm like, the faster I get you out my door, the better. Because that means I've helped you. When you no longer need me, Matt, man, I just did it. Like, I just did it. Mm -hmm. Like, over the wall, did it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's my process. And I, I love that. I mean, from personal experience, right? I've gone through three or four different coaches. And, and now I'm on, you know, you know, you're looking for my next one-on-one, mm-hmm. right? And it's, and it's just because at every level, they've helped me in my journey. I needed someone different at each of these stages. And, and, and that's okay. You know, I always think about, it. I mean, I'm a big sports person and a year's avid sports person. Like I just think about it as, as sports, like all, all athletes need coaches. And that's why I think that it's silly that advisors don't have coaches, right? They are the peak performers in a industry that is even harder to become their level, right? Mm-hmm. Like you think about professional golfers, like to become a professional golfer, a professional baseball player, it is extremely difficult. And the odds are all against almost everybody. 
but all of them have a coach that they go to and they listen to. Like I go to the Braves game and these middle infielders are working with the coach every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about the professional golfers, you know, Jordan Spieth, Tiger Woods, all of them, they have coaches. Yep. And so why would they have a coach? But because we are supposedly the smartest people in the room don't, I think it's the silliest thing in the world. But oh. as you evolve as an athlete, as you evolve as a professional, you get different coaches, but you should always have someone as a sounding board. And that leads me to what you sent me on LinkedIn, the different types of like coaches that you need in the different stages of your life. And it doesn't, it's not based on age. It's based on where you are mentally, where you are professionally. And it's okay to be at different stages. A 20-year-old could be further along than a 40-year-old, and it's okay. It's completely fine. But you talked about the push, pull, and participate, the pull one. I love the story about the poll. Um, that was just, that was eye-opening. So tell us. Tell you. I'm, I'm going to, can I jump to Tiger for a second? You can jump to Tiger. Okay. You can jump, to Tiger. jump to Tiger for a bit. So I'm, I, I'm going to get, I'm going to get good old country girl on this one. So I, I grew up in, in, um, in golf courses. That's how I made through college. And, and so I've always been around golf. My nephew's middle name is Taylor for Taylor made. So it's big in my family. All right. And so, you know, watching Tiger during the days and I think, Tiger's one of the best analogies to watch when it comes to coaching. So Tiger in his day, in his, in his, in his absolute glory and, and, and all that kind of stuff, he had 11 different coaches, stance, swing, you know, all of that stuff. But he also had a personal coach, a life coach. And this was an amazing example to that making you a mirror image of me or changing someone into someone that they are not. So what happened in his life that was really big when he started to screw up, like really started to go downhill? What happened in his life? His dad passed away. His dad passed. He got married. He settled down. Had kids. Had yep. kids, right? Yep. And then he starts cheating and screwing around and all this kind of stuff, debauchery, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Do you think his life coach convinced him or persuaded him towards settling down? The PR needs this. You need a good, wholesome guy. You need to get married. Yeah, of course. Of course, right? Of course. Yeah. So if I was the coach, I would be like, you go do your wacky stuff you need to go do. Just be safe. Don't be stupid. Don't hurt anyone. We try to change people of who they're they're really not. If you want to be that person, go be that person. Just don't hurt anybody else. But as soon as you take someone away from their true authentic self and any of the recipe of the coaching the rest of your world's going to, you're going to fail. You're going to fall apart. What's in here is so connected to everything else that you do. So yeah. it's such an interesting, I love, I like, I go into deeper into the tiger analogy, but it's just such an interesting one to look at. I love that. And I think that going even deeper about that, him having 11 different coaches, like you think about golfers in general, right? These are the, these are the, the purest of athletes in their sport. Like they, mm-hmm. if you've ever played with a professional golfer, I mean, the sound of the ball on the club is just different. The mentality that they have is just different, but all of them now have, my mental coaches. Yeah. John Rahm, who just won the Masters here in Augusta, he he was a mental head case. He went to my alma mater, Arizona State. He was a mental head case. Yeah. And, and, it, and it kept him. It held him back. He then invested into some mental coaching along with physical coaching, right? I think that like the center is like this, this mental and physical and then tactical, right? Your professional skills. So you put them all together, yeah. you get this like perfect thing. And he finally did that. And he won a US Open. Now he's won a Masters. And it's incredible. It's like, and, and people can talk to me about it, but I, I am so convinced that if you're not having a coach, you should because of all these different mentalities. But oh. I digress. And yeah. I can talk about golf. I mean, I, I would love to talk about <laughs> golf podcasts one day. But push, pull, participate. Yeah. Tell us about that. 
So, and this is actually really close. I do a really cool seminar on niching. Well, sorry, how do you know I'm Canadian? So on niche. <laughs> Niching? I know it sounds so weird. Um, so it's it's so actually connected with that. So the push, pull, participate. We do need people at our point in time to push us. And it feels very transactional. It does, right? Because they're pushing you, they're pushing you, and you're, and you're sitting there getting pushed going, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I'm sore? Don't you know, like all this mental stuff is going through the athlete, the business owner, the whatever it may be, it's going through your head. But sometimes we really need to get pushed and they're going to pull out some tension. And as soon as we start pulling out some tension, the people now start to become successful because they get curious as to why they're feeling this tension. So then you win, you grow. So then's the pole coach, the pole coach. So we've won, we've grown, we're getting a little cocky, we're getting a little happy, right? We're starting to show up, we're starting to be noticed, and we kind of hit that next little level. We're starting to have enough fun, the bigger, the bigger events are happening, all that kind of stuff. And in my story, in my post, this is about my national paddling days. And before I came to the East Coast, I paddled a lot on the West Coast, and I was never benched, never benched, never I was middle of the boat. I was team captain. I was like the shit. (laughs) Absolutely. So I come here, train with the crew. It's fun. Like great footage. I go to Hawaii, train on an outrigger, surfing like four or five foot waves, helicopters above, like, you know, spotting for sharks. You want to talk about adrenaline, endorphin, ego, fun, incredible stuff. Like that was my life. So we're racing for nationals to go to worlds. And there's a lot of cross paddling that's happening, things like that in the, in the Olympic world into the, into the world. So I was a dragon boater outrigger. So a lot of canoe kayak people, C1K1s would come over and, and cross because we would be on off year. So they train. So like in this one 200 meter race, I knew that there was three Olympians in one boat and one in the other. I knew they were going to be later on, but I wanted to race every race, every race against them. My coach pulled me first time in 13 years, 11 years, a decade at least that I got sat. (laughs) I was so pissed off. I was so, I didn't even, I didn't even cheer my team and I didn't even watch the race. I was just pissed. So after we finish, I'm in the fives, a bunch of fives, the 2000, all that kind of stuff. We make it, we make birth to the worlds. And finally, after we kind of all calmed down and had our good time, I went to the coach. I'm like, why, why? I like, just tell me why. Cause I'm pissed. Tell me why. And he said, why would have I wasted my strongest woman on the mixed boat? on a 200 meter, 42 second sprint. Why would I have wasted you? You're one of our heaviest paddlers because you're at 195 and you're solid muscle, right? I'm going to put my lighter paddlers in there. We get glide, we get pop, we win. And we didn't need, we, as long as we placed fourth in the berth, I would have advanced us where we needed to. So you forget about strategy, right? Your ego sometimes gets in the way of strategy and you're like, oh my gosh, he's so right. That, that made sense. I was rested and he also knew I was going to be really pissed off. So I probably would have paddled even harder and faster too, right? Because I am that athlete. The more you yell at me, I will bleed for you. Like that's, that's, that's my go-go juice. You scream at me, right? You ride me like a rented mule. I'm there, right? So it's, so that's the pull, right? Sometimes we need to get pulled back and slow down because we become manic. We're trying to do too much. So yeah, that's pull. And I got to talk about my paddling day. So thank you. I love that. And then, And then participate is third. Oh, this is where the gold is. 
this is where the absolute gold is. So in, in that post too, I talk about my last team Canada coach was a, which was a Canadian Olympian. And um, when you are from a participate coaching platform and you find that coach, they're going to push you. They're going to pull you back. They're going to participate and act along right beside you because they know adults learn best by doing. Massive difference. So this is where the elite coaches live. And I can proudly call myself an expert coach. 100% call myself that. I have 25,000 professional coaching hours. I've got so many advisors in MDRT and advisors not even wanting to go into MDRT because they're beyond that level of MDRT. I have advisors just starting out. Like it's this whole incredible, interesting world that happens there. So when you have that coach that understands the push, pull, participate, and you're in that realm, it just, it's, it's, I get so excited. I can't even find words, right? And you've been talking to me for a bit. It's just gold. It's absolute gold. That's where the experts live. That's where you give. That's where you're successful. That's where doors open. You, uh, you can sense the passion. And I, I, the reason I, and I love the, the, the push pull participate mentality is it's the coaches that can understand that. Right. And it goes back to something we were talking about earlier, understanding who your client is, understanding who, what they need. And like to kind of put a bow on this, because I, I, I want to let you get back to your day and, and we're going to have, you know, you on, you're speaking to our inner circle, everything of that nature. But I think that there's a lot that advisors not only can learn from this from a coaching perspective, which is what we've been harping on. And, and it's not just to push you as a coach or it's yeah. just to push coaching in general, I think, in my mind. I, I think that our industry needs to be pushed that way because I think the mind is something that I love to work on is like, how do we think about different situations? It's such an important aspect mm -hmm. of what we do. But we can learn from coaches on how we handle clients. Yeah. And just because we may be good at handling clients, we may think we're good coaches and we don't need coaches. That's, that's first off false. But the push, pull, participate is something that you can really relate in my mind to how you handle with clients. Understand where your client is and what they need and understand when you need to push them to do something to get their savings in line. Understand when you need to pull back or pull them away from something and tell them no. And then tell them when you need to be right alongside them. Yep. And we are coaches and we know that and we can learn so much from coaching the coaching industry yes. with how we handle clients. And I, I just think that that's so impactful to how we can serve our clients every day. We have the same job. We have the exact same job. We, we have the exact same job is right. Yeah. There's so much I didn't get to. So we may have to have you back on this. I mean, this conversation was epic. I mean, it's epic. And, uh, and I, I super appreciate it. But before I let you go, I've got to ask you the two questions. I asked all of the guests uh, because I am a, a lifelong learner. I love to read books and I love to read books from people that I know that know more than me. And so I always ask all of my guests, you know, what's one of those books out there that you think everybody should read if they haven't already? Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to go personal on this one. And so it's the message. It's not the book. Is that okay? That's perfectly fine. There's no rule. There's no <laughs> rule. There's no rule. Server, like, you know, doing her own thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually kind of laugh the whole time we were filming. My my think like a freak book is is, <laughs> is hanging out in the back here. That's so dumb. But anyways, um, is a book called Big Magic. And so Elizabeth Gilbert wrote the book. And the reason why the book Big Magic was monumentally changing in my life is because when my mother was dying of pancreatic cancer. I didn't leave her side for three months. And when someone's going through that kind of stuff and you know it's about over, you have to do, you do anything to just make them comfortable and just to be there for them. So I didn't leave my mom's side for three months solid. 
And I read Eat, Love, Pray to her like 18,543 times, right? It was just, to this day, I can't pick up that book ever again. Like it's, I still have it. I have the tattered pages. I have it, it all, right? But I really loved her style and how she wrote. So when Big Magic came out, it, was, it took me a long time to even get, because the book came out, I think, in 16. And I just read it earlier this year, or last year, sorry. I guess, gosh, it's 2023. This is crazy. Anyways, re- re- I read it in 22. And it was that one chapter that she writes in there about becoming an author and telling stories. And it's all about my whole validation, vulnerability thing. Do everything for you first. If you closed your eyes right now, Matt, and you think about the person that's been there for you when you're sick, been there for you always when you're happy, has never let you down, and you're not visualizing yourself, you got some work to do. Mm. So her in her book and Big Magic about writing a book, that part about write for you first. And that's how I coach all my clients is everything you do is for you first. So there Incredible. you go. I love that. That's why I say there's no rules. You don't know what you're going to find. You don't know what you're going to find. That's incredible. Um, last question. We yeah. talked about a ton here. Yeah. Uh, I always like to provide you know an actionable takeaway for anybody that's listening. So if there's if if someone gets here and they're like, there's so much in here, but I just need that one thing, that one actionable thing I can go and do tomorrow, based on all of what we talked about, what would you say is that one actionable takeaway that our listeners can go and implement tomorrow that'll make them better? Take accountability, period. Take accountability. We're going to leave it at that. We're going to leave it at that. Kim Skirmer, you're an incredible human being. I super appreciate you taking your valuable time and spending it with us here. I already follow you, will continue to follow you, continue to be inspired by you. Our listeners will, will likely want to do the same. So what's the best way for, for everybody listening to continue to stay in touch, to follow you, and to get in touch uh, if they want to potentially work with you? So I'm LinkedIn, Instagram. So Kim Skirmer, The Approach Coaching Method. LinkedIn, Instagram. That's where I am. That's where I play. Love it. Kim Skirmer, stay well, be well. I really appreciate you, your friendship and and your participation here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 